0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Just in this moment, know God as your shepherd, your provider. He he is all you need and he will meet all of your needs. Just intentionally put aside all of the things you think you lack. Put aside your desire for the things you think you lack. Take deep comfort in your heavenly father who protects and provides for you. You can trust him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Whatever scenes of chaos or disorder you've come from today or in the last few days, allow Jesus to lead you to this place of pasture. Just imagine in your mind the green grass. Green speaks of the quality of life and the sustenance that you can draw from it. Water, flowing water. It's the source of all life and these are quiet but fresh and cool streams that will quench your spiritual thirst. This is where Jesus wants to lead you to right now to a place where your very soul can be restored. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This pasture is a place of restoration, but it's also a place of re-centering. It's remembering and experiencing the righteousness of your good shepherd. You belong to him and you're becoming like him as he leads you to walk with him and to work with him. His family name is your family name. Be restored and re-centred in him right now. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Suddenly the scenery changes, but the truth doesn't. He is still your shepherd. He's still leading, guiding, walking with you, protecting you and providing for you. And maybe this scene is a little closer to what is more fam- and what is more familiar than the pasture. But Jesus is here too, just like in the pasture. You don't need to come to the pasture to be close to Jesus. He is always close. He's always protecting, always guiding, always offering comfort, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Your seat at the table of your heavenly Father is always yours. It's always there. No circumstances can change that. And this is your true home. This is your true place where you belong at the Father's table. The oil that anoints your head brings deep healing and restoration, even as your enemies look on, they can't touch you here. And your shepherd is abundant in generosity, that he gives far more than you need. Your cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now take great delight and deep comfort in the truth that this scene is not temporary but permanent. You you don't have to leave this spiritual environment. You can know God's presence, God's goodness and love all the days of your life and surely you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, I'm not sure how you found that moment, and sorry to just abruptly interrupt it like that, but our intent, my intent, my my prayer for you this morning is that you would experience some kind of rest, That whatever chaos, whatever disorder you may have come from, even as, as recently as this morning on your way here, getting ready to be here, that this would be a moment, almost somewhat in 2022 in the hustle and bustle of life, something a little bit unfamiliar. That you would have experienced five minutes of rest and comfort, not just rest and comfort of your own making, but rest and comfort in the presence of our good shepherd of God our Father. And then I want you to imagine that five minutes, if it worked for you, if it didn't, let's chat afterwards, but if it did work for you, that little five minutes, and I pray it was a gift to you, multiply that out to 24 hours, that's the Sabbath, that's the Sabbath, one 24-hour block in a week of deep rest, deep restoration, deep recentering worshipful rest. This is a gift that God wants to give to you. Let me remind you about what we're talking about here. I'm not going to do what I did last week and upend the table, uh, but this table represents your life and everything on it. And I've tried to capture my life a little bit in what's on here uh, if you weren't here last week, you know, the, the, the subscriptions to different channels change, chop and change all over the place, uh, like, like to get that much sleep in my week, that would be nice, that's probably a little bit unrealistic. The big chunks of work and family, um, church, is it a box, maybe it's what Jesus intends for us to have as our whole life, not just a box for him, but the whole table given to Jesus. One I left out, really important one, social media, <laughs> um, I, don't, I didn't know whether to use a box this big or a box more uh, this size depending on how much time you spend on facebook instagram twitter tiktok you name them you know you name them all but social media is a big one and talk about when we talk about rest when we talk about sabbath this is fighting back against you taking a good rest but i think all of us could say that in some form or other uh, we're into the social media and last week we we threw simplicity on the table and we said this is something That uh, when we talk about spiritual formation, we talk about spiritual practices. Remember, we ditched the word discipline and replaced it with practice. When we talk about spiritual practices, intentionally living a life of simplicity, considering things that are on the table and maybe getting rid of some and replacing them with other things and seeking to be generous towards the kingdom of God and investing in the kingdom of God is a spiritual practice that God wants us to invest in and have on our table that we would live with simplicity. And today, of course, as you've already picked up, The next box that we're talking about, the next box that we would be blessed if we had it on our table, and it's quite a big box, it really should be one-seventh of all of the the, the table, all the boxes that the table can hold, is this idea of Sabbath, Sabbath rest. And what am I talking about when I talk about Sabbath? I'm talking about one day in seven, a full 24-hour period of deep, restorative, and worshipful rest. Not just a day off, not just a day off where you get to catch up on all the work that you don't do because of your, what your paid work demands, not just a day to just do whatever you feel like, but an intentional ceasing of work and an embracing of rest that brings you joy through directing your heart, your heart and your mind towards the goodness of God and his grace. And as we work through it this morning, as we talk about Sabbath this morning, my hope is that we will not only understand what the Sabbath is more and more, but we would receive this precious gift and add it to the table as a spiritual practice, as a rhythm of grace. All right, let's jump in. The origins of the Sabbath. We go right back to the beginning. We go right back to the six days of creation where God worked to bring into being all that we know of the universe And then on the seventh day, he rested. Let me read from Genesis 2. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. Genesis 2 and verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God took a day off. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What is God doing on this day? What's this about? Well, he's actually, as I just said said wrongly, he's not actually just taking a day off, but joyfully resting and enjoying the work of his creation. He sits back and he goes, I am pleased with what I've just done. I am taking deep joy in everything that I've created, including the crowning of creation, which was Adam and Eve, humanity, stepping back and saying, I'm going to take a 24-hour period, not just to have a day off because I'm tired, but to enjoy the fruit of my labor. What's God doing for humanity in this moment? Well you remember Adam and Eve are the last two people, the last two things that God creates. And if you think about it, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, because I, I certainly hadn't the first full day that humanity lived for was a day of rest. I think sometimes we think we work and then rest. But if you go right back to the beginning, the rhythm that was set for humanity right at the beginning was rest and then work. And that might seem a bit semantic, but that's what's going on here. God gives as a gift to Adam and Eve the very first day, a day of rest for them to come in and enjoy the work, the fruit of the labor at the hand of God. The first thing God wanted his children to experience was the beauty and the goodness of his creation, the fruits of his labor. But then we flick across to Genesis chapter 3. And a lot happens between chapter 2 and chapter 3. This is where Adam and Eve are rebellious. They do the one thing that God says not to do is they're enjoying uh, this world that, that God had created and gifted them. For he created it all with, with Adam and Eve in his mind, with humanity in his mind. And there's one thing he said, everything is yours to enjoy, but there's one thing that I don't want you to do, and that's the very thing that soon, not, not too long after he said that, that they went and did. And as a result, God says this to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is a massive change for humanity. The invitation from God when he created the garden was to joyfully tend the garden, to joyfully take part with God in the work of looking after creation. What suddenly happens here is no longer is that joy there, but the work that Adam will do the work that humanity will do from this point is now marked by the sweat of the brow and a painful toil work has changed dramatically there's a massive consequence for work and and what, what what an ongoing consequence of that is and you can see it everywhere you look today in 2022 so many thousands of years after this moment we now derive our wealth and prosperity and and our purpose and our meaning from our work. We have abolished a pattern of work, rest, and replaced it with a pattern of work, work. The primacy of rest, this idea of working from rest, is in this moment replaced by the drive to work and rest if and when we can. But there's so much to do. There's so, there's so much to earn. There's so much Wealth to be made. There's so much purpose to be found in our work, in the things that we do. We are now driven by a work-to-live, live-to-work rhythm, leaving little room for rest. And let's get a broad definition of work here. We're not just talking about the forty hours or what you know that 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 working week nine to five Monday to Friday. We're talking about all of work, the work around the house, the work at making our houses look beautiful, the work around all of all of the things we own, all of the things we accumulate around us, and taking care of them. The work we put into that, so that when the world looks at us, they can say successful, meaningful, purposeful. We derive so much of our purpose and our meaning from this box here, work. And so, because that's true, the idea of stopping to rest might just seem like a clever little thing, Sam, but you don't know how busy I am. Read between the lines. You don't know how important I am. So much happens between, again, that moment and what comes later when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses but as he's giving these instructions, as he's giving this outline of how to live as prosperous, uh, healthy, wealthy people in the land that God is giving to his people, he gives these 10 commandments as a framework for living, these life-giving instructions. And in this set of 10, like the introduction to what will follow, the 10 big parts of, of these commandments, the 10 big rocks or the big boxes, if you want to use that illustration, of what God says, this is how I want you to live, one of those 10 10% of what God is saying, here's, here's the big important stuff. The fourth one, so fourth on the list, is this command to rest. It's like, it's like God's trying to reestablish and speak against being driven by work. He's trying to say, no, I, I don't want you to be driven by work. I want you to be driven by my joy and my delight in you. And so we're going to have 24 hours a week, one day a week, where we just get to chill out and hang out together. God's trying to get them to think again. This is not a work-work rhythm. This is a work-rest rhythm. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. And what's interesting about this command in Exodus 20 is it's the longest, it's the most wordiest command of the lot. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is this is Again, we've got, to, we've got to think of this not, not as a command you will not work. and we'll, we'll pick that up later, particularly as we look at how the Sabbath was being looked at when Jesus arrived. But there's this gift from God to say, I don't, I don't want you to be driven by work. I want you to be driven by who you are in me. What is really interesting about this commandment, when you look at it today, and I don't think there'd be anyone in the room who would be of that view that we just chuck out the Ten Commandments as irrelevant principles for life. You know, the law has been replaced by grace, so we can do whatever we want. I don't think any of us would, would come at that. In our 5 p.m. service, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, and we're getting towards the end as we do our monthly services. But I, rec- it, 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 I don't reckon, I reckon, I'm, I would bet my house on this, that the fourth commandment, the commandment to Sabbath, to rest, is the most ignored, excused, disregarded and disobeyed commandment of the lot. It's one we excuse away, we justify, we ignore it, we say, yeah, great idea, haven't got time for that. Well, if you're thinking, yep, Ten Commandments, Old Testament, I'm with Jesus though. Well, let's look, about what, let's look at what Jesus says about the Sabbath. What does he say about it? He says a lot about it. The particular place I want to look at is in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 18. Jesus says, sorry, this isn't about the Sabbath, this is about the law in general. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So this isn't about the Sabbath yet. He's still talking about the law here. The law including the Sabbath, the command to Sabbath. What I, what I find really interesting in that phrase, the last four words, that, what Jesus says there. Until everything is accomplished. Until the work is done. Jesus here hinting again at this work, rest, with Rhythm when it comes to the law. There is still legitimacy, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 2, to the Sabbath in our New Testament era. Let me read to you from Mark 2, and this is Jesus again. One Sabbath, Jesus was walking through the cornfields. His disciples made their way along plucking corn as they went. Look here, said the Pharisees to him. Why are they doing something illegal on the Sabbath? Jesus, I reckon, realizes just, what are you talking about? What who decided what's illegal on the Sabbath and what's not? Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he was in difficulties and he and his men got hungry? He went into God's house, this was when Abitha was high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which only the priests were allowed to eat and he gave it to the people with him. And then there's this line from Jesus that I think is the heart of what we're on about when we talk about Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans, Jesus said. Not humans for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is master even of the Sabbath. Jesus is revealing the heart of the Sabbath here, this gift that God wants to give us that we wouldn't be defined by our labor, defined by our work, but defined by our relationship and our comfort and our rest in Him. The Sabbath was given to relieve humans of their burden, not to add a long list of more burdens. And you need to see what the Pharisees were doing here. Not not only for themselves, but for other people, giving them instruction and giving them teaching. Okay, here is the list of things that you are allowed to do on the Sabbath, and here is the list of things that you are not allowed to do. And they'd extrapolated that from, from God in the in the Ten Commandments, saying, You you or your, your animals, your children, whatever, not, no work on that day. And so the Pharisees took it upon themselves to decide, okay, what's work and what's not work. And they were driven not by the joy of the Sabbath and spending time with God, but they were driven by legalism. They were driven by this idea of we need to get our lives sorted out and do well so that we can present ourselves as holy to God who will then accept us. Jesus, as I'm sure you know, completely flipped all of that on its head. This is what the Pharisees were about. But actually, if if we're really honest, sometimes we're driven by this as well. We're driven by a religious desire to make ourselves presentable to God. And we take pride in how good we are and how Christian we are so that one day God will look upon us and go, I accept you because you are so good. That is not the gospel. That is legalism. That is religion. That is Phariseeism. That's what the Pharisees taught. What Jesus says is, I accept you just as you are. You are good because I have forgiven your sin. You are declared good. And in that moment when we accept Jesus, and in doing that, except that we don't have our life together, not only are we forgiven, but we are raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so the vilest offender, as that old hymn says, sits there with Jesus when they trust Him. It's outrageous, but it's the gospel. And so when it comes to the Sabbath, these Pharisees were going, "Well, here is the list of do's and don'ts. Here is the things you can and can't do." So when they see Jesus doing this in the cornfields, like illegal, illegal. Jesus, guys, you've missed the point completely. You missed the point completely. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made to serve the Sabbath. Sabbath was made to serve man. That's what's going on when Jesus, again, with everything that that he saw, the Pharisees, everything that this false Legalistic religion had become turning it on its head, turning it upside down, turning it around, flipping it over. The Sabbath was meant to serve us, not us to serve the Sabbath. And God gave us and still wants to give us this precious gift of weekly rest to be enjoyed as part of our relationship with him. We can legalize it we can, or we can justify him right out of the picture. But here it is, God's saying, I want you to experience my rest regularly. I want you to experience it as a rhythm in your life. Jesus takes this Sabbath and resets the picture back to what it was meant to be originally. So this is such a precious gift. Why do we resist it? Well, I've hinted at it already. I don't reckon our problem today is with putting religious and legalistic rules around the regulations of the Sabbath. That's not our problem. I don't hear anyone saying to me on a Sunday, you, you should just take it easy on Sunday because you should be resting more. Or and no, no one's ever, in my accountability, ever said, Are you regular are you regularly sabbathing? I don't know if that's a word, but add ing to any word and it becomes a verb, right? It's not our problem is not that we have this this set of lists, these rules and regulations around what the Sabbath should, should and shouldn't be. Our problem is that we are super busy and we fill our lives with stuff that doesn't leave any room for rest. And it's because of our drivenness to find purpose and meaning through accomplishing and accumulating. And when we're driven by accomplishing stuff and we're driven by accumulating more stuff, there's no room. For rest, we don't rest because we don't have time to get the things done that we need to get done in order for our lives to feel complete and meaningful. There's no space for rest. Certainly not a 24-hour period. Maybe maybe from from 8.30 to 9.30 on a Monday night after the kids are in bed. Well, that's my Sabbath. God wants to give you so much more. Maybe it's four weeks holiday in the year. That's my Sabbath. I try to get it all done in a big chunk. No, that's actually a false imitator of the real Sabbath, which I'll come back to. We don't, we don't resist it because we've put so much legalism around it. We resist it because we're just so darn busy, accumulating, accomplishing. But despite our resistance, let me assure you, and this is another occasion where I'm, I'm, no, I'm no poster boy for Sabbathing. I want to be, but this is why we need it. This is why we should stop our resistance against the Sabbath and start embracing it. As much as we might set it aside as a nice but unrealistic option, it's not. It's not and, and I, want, I want to be really clear, Sabbathing is not a, 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 not a deal breaker when it comes to our salvation. Like we get to the gates of heaven and God says, yep, you believe Jesus died for your sin, you, believe, you put your faith in that, but you didn't Sabbath, so see ya. It's not a deal breaker. But there is something precious here that if we miss it and we continue to think this way about, say, if we're going to miss a precious gift that God wants to give us, it's like the picture I got in my mind was like someone gave us a really great gift at Christmas and we took that gift, we said, thank you very much. We went and put it in a cupboard right at the bottom. We shut the door and all this other stuff that we accumulated over the next 12 months crowded out. We forgot it was even there. It was shoved in the cupboard. It was put in there and ignored and forgotten about. Until one day we went, oh, remember that gift that Uncle Freddy got? Let's go check that out. And it is the best gift we've ever had in our lives. And we, we wouldn't have discovered it unless we opened it and started using it. That's what I think the Sabbath is for us in 2022 as followers of Jesus. It's this precious gift that for most of us sits unopened, unwrapped, unused. I had a friend in Toowoomba who was and still is a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I had no idea that I went to Toowoomba that one of my best mates at 10 years later would be a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. We had some great chats over the years. Um, but he constantly told me that Seventh-day Adventists live on average 10 years longer than the rest of us. Have you heard this before? Seventh-day Adventists, they live 10 years longer than the rest of us. It's actually true actually true. And, and now let, let me, let me, without going taking a massive sidetrack into the conversations that we had before you get a bit nervous about me talking about Seventh-day Adventists, um, they sometimes can get a bit legalistic, particularly about Sabbath. They meet on Saturday, uh, and that's meant to be a Sabbath. What I found really ironic is that my mate, was he worked really hard, so he, and he preached most Sabbaths, so he wasn't working. Oh, sorry, he was working while everyone else had a Sabbath. They can get legalistic about it. But it's actually true that they live 10 year, on average 10 years longer than the rest of us. And do you know if you, took, if you took the average lifespan of a human and you added in a day of rest every week for 24 hours over a period of a lifetime, it would add up to about 10 years. You want 10 years added to your life? Well, for a lot of us, it'll be too late now to get 10 years. But you start the Sabbath for you young guys and you'll live 10 years longer, be able to serve Jesus for another 10 years on earth. How good will that be? But this is an unwrapped gift, unwrapped gift. Let me read to you from a book called The Common Rule, which is a great book to understand more about this series that we're preaching through, The Common Rule by Justin Whitmell Early. Let me read to you what he says about the Sabbath. The weekly practice of Sabbath teaches us that God sustains the world and that we don't. To make a countercultural embrace of our limitations, we stop our usual work for one day of rest. Sabbath is a gospel practice because it reminds us that the world doesn't hang on what we can accomplish, but rather on what God has accomplished for us. This is so hard. When I come into a Saturday and I want to have a break, I want to try and sabbath and try and unwrap this gift more and more, I only manage to get about half the paper off because I start thinking about Sunday. I start thinking about this moment. <laughs> No, this is work for me right now. And, and my, my Sabbath gets interrupted by this, this stress and this pressure that if I don't prepare, then all of you guys are going to suffer. Well, Sabbath is actually, no, I, let me get it all done by Friday so I can enjoy Saturday, knowing that God has done the work that really matters. When it boils down to it, the work that we do compared to the work that God has done, is doing, and will do, it's a bit off the scale. And Sabbath is, at its heart, a trust in God's work. You know, you you could look up, and please do this if you're interested. Go and Google the scientific and biological importance of rest. Not from a religious perspective, but just generally. Go look at that. Weekly rest. You know, let me me throw a bit of a grenade in this, uh, this moment. This is not my idea. This is something I read from a guy called A.J. Swoboda. He wrote a book called The Subversive Sabbath. And he wrote this about the importance of the Sabbath as a weekly rhythm for us. If we kept a weekly Sabbath, we would not need vacations. Who loves their four weeks annual holidays? Who loves their leave? I love it. And there's a lot of encouragement around pastoral circles saying, you've got to take three weeks off because the first week, you're happy to be on holidays. The second week, you realize how tired you were and you start to stress less. But then the third week, you should be getting excited about coming back to work. AJ's saying is, if I Sabbathed, I wouldn't need that four weeks break. That is so controversial. My wife is sitting in the front. I've looked at her right now. I reckon there'd be daggers. We are not giving away our four weeks annual leave. No, we're not saying that. But the science says, if you rest, if you had genuine, deep, restorative rest once a week, you wouldn't need four weeks annual leave. In fact, AJ argues around this quote in his book that annual vacations are a poor substitute to the rest that God intended. He he talks about how like when when God gives us sugar, the devil comes up with Natvia as a poor substitute. When, When God gives us the gift of sex, the devil comes up with pornography and adultery as a poor substitute. And then he says, when it comes to rest, God gives us the Sabbath, the devil comes up with four weeks annual leave. That's how strongly he's making this point. That if we took weekly deep restorative rest and for us as followers of Jesus, worshipful rest, where our hearts and our minds are directed towards God and his grace, we wouldn't need four weeks annual leave to restore us. I'm still taking them, but to restore us and to give us what we need to serve Jesus and to love others as we trust that the real work is done by him and not by me. So how do we do it? What do we do on the Sabbath? Now, risking stepping into Pharisee territory here by saying what we should and shouldn't do, and I'm not even wanting to go there at all because that would be completely contradictory to everything that I try and stand for that is gospel. I would encourage, before I I go into a few suggestions, I would encourage conversation with uh, yourself, but then with loved ones who will be sharing the Sabbath with you. Try and work out what works best for you. Do some research, read some books, have some conversation, pray and come up with some thoughts about what you should and shouldn't do or what you could do and not do to make Sabbath this deep, restorative, worshipful chunk day of rest. But let me give you four general tips. Here's the first one. Whatever sort of work you do, do the opposite on Sabbath. Whatever sort of work you do, do the opposite on Sabbath. The Sabbath should be an intentional break from work. I love this quote from a Jewish rabbi, Abraham Heschel. Uh, Ignore the fact that he's Jewish at this point, just listen to the quote. A man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands, and a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind. The point being, from a Jewish perspective, and I think it works for us as well as Christians, that when it comes to the Sabbath, take a break from what you usually do. A lot of my work, believe it or not, is with my mind. (laughs) When I was in Toowoomba and going through a particularly rough patch, I started picking up as many pallets as I could that were legal for me to borrow or take from different places. This was, this was the best thing for me to do, to take a break from everything that was going on in my mind. I'd get in my backyard and I'd get a crowbar. This was particularly therapeutic and I'd smash up those pallets. I'd try to keep them in, in some sort of order and then I'd convert them into furniture, outdoor furniture. This served two really good purposes. The first one uh, is, it, is it gave me such uh, deep rest doing something that wasn't involved with my work. The second thing uh, is that it provided great later on it provided great firewood for those cold Toowoomba nights because the furniture was pretty awful. Whatever you do for work, try and take, take, not try, take an intentional break from that whatever you find, whenever you find, whatever day of the week you find, to Sabbath. The best place uh, may be to actually start prayerfully writing a list of what you will do and not do on the Sabbath. Not, not in a Pharisee way, of course, I, I, I know I keep reiterating that. Not, not like that, not, not because you're trying to impress God, but because you want to get the most out of this gift that he wants to give you what you will do individually, what you will not do individually, and then as a family, what you will do and what you won't do. Second, where possible, Sabbath with other people. Now sometimes, and I think, I think that it's important just off the back of that first one, sometimes, for, 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 particularly for jobs like I'm in, it's very people intensive. You spend a lot of time with people. And so part of your Sabbath may be an hour or two of just stepping back from people, but God designed the Sabbath, and it was in that commandment that we read earlier, God designed the Sabbath to work best in community. In fact, whole of society. I mean, it seems an age ago that we started opening all the shops up on Sunday. I just think God, God's, oh, you're just missing the point. Sabbath is meant to be, like, don't order takeaway on your Sabbath because you're making someone else work. That, that's, that's sort of what it comes down to. So where possible and as much as you're able, do Sabbath with other people, starting with the people closest to you, family and close friends. Spend that time together, encouraging one another to direct your heart and mind towards the grace of God. And I want to acknowledge the difficulty right here because I'm married to a shift worker and Brooke often works on the day that would work best for us to have a Sabbath. That's on Saturday. And so often Brooke has a shift from, from she's gone at seven in the morning, doesn't get back until maybe 5.30, 6 o'clock. So what do we do? Well, I think as we start to think about a Sabbath and be more intentional with it off the back of this preach, we've got to look at our calendars and try and work out what works best for us. What's, what's a 24-hour period? And let's, again, not get too legalistic about that, but what's a big chunk of time where we can intentionally direct our hearts and minds towards God and have deep, worshipful rest in that? The third tip. Again, these all overlap. Build practices into your Sabbath that direct your heart and mind toward God. Remember, Sabbath is not just a day off. It's not just a a day of rest, but a day of rest and worship. And do whatever brings you deep joy. And as a believer in, in Jesus and as a follower of him, it should make sense that what brings you the deepest joy ultimately will be done in communion with God. So as, you're think, as you think about your deepest joys and you think about, this, this is, I feel really fulfilled when I do this. And gee, when I'm doing it, my heart and my mind is drawn towards God. That is a perfect thing to do on your Sabbath. And to do it as a family as well. Enjoying this communion with God. Four, cut yourself off from social media on your Sabbath. If I was going to get legalistic about anything, it would be this, or maybe it's just me myself saying this. Intentionally cut yourself off from social media and devices. Now, it would be wise to at least have one phone in the household that the volume is turned up and it's somewhere where you can hear it in case there's an emergency. But a really good rule is to shut yourselves off from the very thing that speak most loudly to us, saying, don't rest, keep working, Keep accomplishing, keep accumulating. Cut that off, cut that out of your Sabbath. Turn off your devices. Turn off your phone. Shut down your computer. Turn off your iPad. I think the only exception would be if, and, and I, I, I struggled a bit with this because I read in, in Justin uh, Whitmel Early's book, he said Netflix, right? Um, maybe start with not having Netflix on your Sabbath. And, then he, and I reckon this is just the biggest out ever. He goes, but unless, unless you find Netflix to be something that really feeds your soul, <laughs> maybe then. But I went, oh, come on, don't give, don't give me that excuse. Like, I'll just watch Netflix all day on my Sabbath. That's, that's, uh, I, I reckon just be really careful about that. Resting from devices is a great rhythm. And, and I, I remember this thing from Andy Crouch. Uh, this is a great advice, and it's something that we've talked about as a family as well. So when you talk about... Sabbath generally, but then Sabbathing from devices and things like social media. What if we set a rhythm as we, to, as we think about the rhythms of grace? We set one hour a day, one day a week, Sabbath, and one week a year where all devices are off. I reckon just doing that would make a massive difference to walking and working with Jesus, and learning the unforced rhythms of grace. Whatever your Sabbath looks like is up to you, and God. Four general tips to help you, but ultimately you need to come up with it yourself to say, what's going to give me deep joy through communion with God, to give me deep, restorative, worshipful rest? Saint Augustine lived a long time ago, but he He has one of the most quoted quotes in Christian circles, and it speaks to the Sabbath. It speaks to the heart of the Sabbath. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. When Jesus said what he did in Matthew 11, which is the key passage to the series that Jess read earlier, at its heart is this invitation to rest. And as much as he meant it then when he said it in person, he means it now because he's risen from the dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. He's alive and he's here. He's present with us this morning. And what he says, what he said in person then, he would still say to us this morning, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? And let me just pause there for a minute and say, I reckon you can apply religion to what the Pharisees were talking about, but you can also apply it to this religious fervor with which we accomplish and accumulate. That's a religious activity because we sacrifice for that. We worship that. We serve that. That becomes our master, accomplishing and accumulating. And ultimately, ultimately, that will make us tired, wear us out, and burn us out. So whether it's religion or it's consuming, accumulating and accomplishing, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Part of this invitation is Sabbath, resting. We read in Matthew 5 earlier where Jesus was talking about the fact he didn't come to abolish the law but came to fulfill it. And he said, nothing from it will disappear until everything is accomplished, until the work is done. Until the work that really matters and ultimately matters for all eternity, far more than the work that you and I really strive to do, that we remember and we think about as we Sabbath and we trust, God, you've done the work that needs doing. As Jesus was about to die on the cross, one of the last things he said was, It is finished. Another translation says, It is accomplished. Those two things from Jesus there are connected until everything is accomplished. It was the moment of his death when the work was done. And you know, Jesus' body rested in the tomb on Sabbath. He took a rest. His broken body. His bloodless body. The life that he gave us, the body through which he gave it rested on Sabbath. And then... On Sunday, he rose from the dead. Stone was rolled away. They couldn't find the body. He He was alive again. And in that day, he was ushering in a new day, a new day, a new day of recreation where people could be welcomed into his rest, where people could walk with him and work with him and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that invitation is still open to us today. I love what Justin Whitmill Early says. He says, Sabbath is the essence of our salvation. We can rest because God has done all that needs to be done. It is finished. When we rest, we are worshipfully accepting the work and rest of God. We trust that the real work has been taken care of by God who loves us. And works for us to create the world we live in and then work to secure our salvation and ultimately our eternal rest. Jesus isn't just Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, Jesus isn't just Master of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is the rest that we are invited into. Are you burned out on religion? Are you working hard to make yourself presentable to Jesus? Are you burned out on accumulating and accomplishing? The rest your soul truly craves can only be found in Jesus. There's nowhere else. No one else, nothing else, nowhere else can we find this rest that our souls deeply crave. Only Jesus can do that. wonder if this morning you're aware that you are burned out. That for you, you've actually never come to trust Jesus. This idea of him uh, rising from the dead, dealing with your sin, speaking to you and saying, come to me if you're burned out. Come to me if you're heavy burdened. Come to me if you're burned out and tired from religious fervor, whether chasing after religion or chasing after accumulating and accomplishing. You've never actually accepted that gift from Jesus. I'd love to pray for you now. I'm not going to get you to stick your hand. I'm just going to get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. I would just love to lead you in a prayer where for the first time you can say to Jesus, I accept your invitation into rest. I am burned out. I'm worn out. I, I know that my life has been lived on my own effort."